turn to the book of Luke now when we were practicing for the when we did those verses with the with the cards and everything at the Christmas program and we were practicing our verses the first time through I gave Luke McCabe his verse and they had to say their reference and then their then their verse and I Luke Luke was like why do I have to say my name before I say the verse and I was like oh we're in the book of Luke but when he was telling me I couldn't really understand and I was like really confused so it was it was pretty funny though I mean, it was like you don't have to say your name just need to say the book but yeah <laughs> but anyway so I can't help but thinking of that whenever I turn to the book of Luke now and it just makes me smile and so in the book of Luke in chapter 7 and in verse number 1 and once you found your place if you'll join me in standing in reverence to God's word in the book of Luke in chapter 7 and verse number 1 and as we before we read uh, we'll be praying tonight uh, for a pastor and Jimna they're uh, headed up or they should already be there at uh, Great Wolf Lodge having some time with their family from Longview and with the grandkids and so they're up there tonight and so be praying for them for traveling mercies it's just a one-night thing so that and for traveling mercies back tomorrow and so as we look in the book of Luke chapter 7 in verse number one the Bible says now when he had entered or now he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people he entered into Capernaum he being Jesus here and a, cer a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die and when he, when he heard of Jesus he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant and when they came to Jesus they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue then Jesus went with them and they were not and when he was now not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying unto him Lord trouble not thyself for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee but say in a word and my servant shall be healed for I also am a man set under authority having under me soldiers and I say unto one go and he goeth and to another come and he cometh and to my servant do this and he doeth it when Jesus heard these these things he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him I say unto you I have not found so great faith no not in Israel and they were sent returning to the home found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I pray for, uh, for our pastor as they, they travel, um, travel up tonight. And Lord, I pray for a uh, safe travel back. And Lord, I just pray that they'll have a good break and a good time with their grandkids. And Lord, I just pray for the message tonight that you'll have your hand on it, that you'll allow it to go, uh, that you allow your word to go forth clearly and in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. So as we look at this, this short, um, short description of one of Jesus' miracles, of one of Jesus' healings in the New Testament, we're reminded that God holds power over disease in his hands, that Jesus holds the power to heal disease in his hands. And he can stop, he can stop diseases and command them as easily as the centurion commands his soldiers underneath him. It's easy to lose sight of how, 
how um, completely in control God is of, of, this, of the world. I believe that um, we, we get, um, God gives us certain scientific discoveries, but we'll never be at, we'll never reach a point where we are uh, equal or even close to equal with God over God's power over, over diseases. But um, man has made some substantial discoveries in, in the area of science and technology, but there are still mysteries that, that man cannot, cannot solve. There are still diseases that man cannot cure. Um, we have, um, man can become very prideful over our scientific achievements, and we can trust in our own, in our own science and our own reasoning and forget God. But um, God's granted us some amazing scientific discoveries, like the discovery of flight, of um, and commercial flight that's changed the world forever, allowing us to travel um, across the world in a matter of hours. Think we marvel at things like the moon landing and other space travel, um, things like uh, like nuclear fission that both is is amazing in the electricity that can produce, but also terrifying in the weapons that it can produce. High tech silicon that's given us amazing things that we never thought possible with technology, and many, many other achievements that have allowed um, agriculture to produce more, more crops more abundantly that has kept billions of people from going hungry because of new technology in the area of agriculture and, and farming. Now, medical advances is a place where, we fall, where it's easy to see that we fall short, especially, especially today um, because the, um, of COVID and all of these things that, seem, that are completely out of our control and it's easy to learn from this year that man's really not in control, that God is the one in control, and that something as, as relatively small as a disease can completely turn man's world upside down in, um, in not that long. We've seen it wreak havoc on our world. But there are, uh, there are diseases that God has, uh, that we have treatments from, that God's um, allowed man to discover these, like, the vaccine for polio, Hib, measles, whooping cough, mumps, and chickenpox, which have largely been wiped off the face of the earth because of scientific discoveries. But many other diseases remain out of our control, and life and death remain at the power of God. And Jesus, Jesus commanded this disease instantly here. And it's something <clears throat> that will always catch man's attention, is, is this healing here that Jesus performs over and over again, in the Gospels. Now it's something that will catch man's attention and will lead to either faith and wonder at God's miraculous healing, or it'll lead to suspicion and distrust. Now, today there's many, many people who claim to be these, uh, these prophets that are faith healers and all of these things, but of course they don't hold the same power that Jesus Christ had and are found out to be, and are found out to be false in some way or another and, and um, deceptive. But What's amazing is Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, was genuinely healing the people. He genuinely commanded disease just as easily as this centurion commanded those underneath him. Now, as we look at the centurion here, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, the centurions were, um, were presented of these—they <clears throat> were um, very high, high in society. They were high-ranking, and they were— an, they commanded about a hundred men, which is where they got their name from. Now, this centurion in particular was known for his care for the Jewish people at that time. It mentioned in this passage 
in verse 5 that he loved our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Well, this was something that wasn't very common for a Roman centurion to have take this much mercy on the Jewish people in a region. Now, and here we, it notes that uh, he loved his servant and he didn't want him to die. He was, um, he was, was caring for his servant and wanted Jesus Christ to come, come heal his servant. Now, if you'll turn over with me to Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8, in verse number 5, we'll read Matthew's account, but keep your finger in Luke chapter 7, or flip back there. But Matthew has a similar account of, of, this, of this instance with this particular centurion. And so in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5, I'll read Matthew's account here, and look at it. And Matthew highlights some different points in his account. And so I wanted to read Matthew's account before I got started with, the, with my points tonight. But in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5, the Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my, my servant do, and he doeth it. In verse 10 it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into utter darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And thy servant was healed that same self hour. And so as we look at these two accounts of this story with the, the healing of this centurion's servant, we, um, we look at these three, three parts of this familiar story. The first part that I want to highlight of this, of this story is the faith of the centurion and, and his friends and the people around him to go and get Jesus. So the faith of the centurion and his friends. We're impressed not only with, this, with, this, um, with his care for his, uh, his servant, that's under him, but we also imagine this this powerful centurion working in the Roman with working in the Roman government coming to um, what would be to him what he'd be thinking of essentially Jesus, who was this poor this poor rabbi and this poor this poor teacher coming to him for help because he was the only one that could help him. Now, and not only that, he. Was he was high ranking, but he also considered Jesus here so so important that that his house was unworthy for Jesus to enter into it. And so as we uh, as we move forward, that'll um, kind of become more important. And so, but we we see here in verse number three of Matthew or of um, Luke chapter seven. In Luke chapter seven, verse number three. There's this word here. It says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto the elders and the Jews, beseeching him. So this word, beseeching, is a word that's not used commonly in English today. It's a, 
<clears throat> it's one of those uh, one of those King James words that was commonly used at the time that the that the King James version was was translated, and it stuck around because it's a word that is is kind of hard to uh, get the exact meaning of in today's English. Because of course, our our English we we lose more and more words as time goes on, and um, so this word beseech is hard to kind of is hard to replace for modern modern translations replace it, but it's not always exactly the same. But we even as we read over it, so often it's easy to read over b biblical words and really miss the miss the definition of them, miss the the power that's behind the words, and so beseeching here means to urgently and fervently do something to implore or to entreat. So it was, uh, or, or it could mean to, to beg. And so this, the, I'm gonna look through a few definitions of this word. It can be used to mean to beg, to plead, or to urge, which is uh, more the common meaning today. Now, if you are beseeching someone to do something, you're begging urgently and anxiously. It's more than just an earnest request, but how the, Bi the Bible defines we want to see how the Bible define, defines this word. So to beseeching is pleading. And in a few examples are here in Romans 13, 9, we see the Bible says, but I beseech you rather to do this that I may <coughs> be restored sooner. And in Hebrews 13, 22, it says, and I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. So, here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is beseeching that they pay attention to these words. Um, and then we see in verses in, uh, in Hebrews, we see other verses in Hebrews that are pleading with the audience to do something. This is how Peter uses it in his writing. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fresh fleshly lusts that war against the soul. So here in First Peter, when he says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, he's saying, I beg you, abstain from f fleshly lusts. And, um, and all the power that goes behind begging um, to, do, to, to do that. Now in the Old Testament, we see examples in Isaiah 38.1. It says, um, when Hezekiah is near death, it says that Hezekiah prayed, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I walked before thee in truth and with perfect heart, and had done that which is good in thy sight. Hezekiah wept sore. And so, basically, the word, word beseech is begging God to, he was begging God to spare his life. Now, then we see God's answer later on in verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 38. It says, Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the, son, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer and have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thee unto thy days fifteen years. And so God answered Hezekiah's prayer and extended his life by fifteen prayers, by fifteen years. And so he had been beseeching God. He had been earnestly pleading with God in his prayers. Now, we also see this word used in the Psalms many times. One of the examples um, is in Psalms 116.4. The psalmist is pleading for his life like Hezekiah did. Now, it says, Then called I upon the name of the Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Now we see this, this word isn't always, isn't always used for something positive. In the book of Jonah in chapter 4, 
Jonah's pleading for the opposite. Instead of for instead of like Hezekiah pleading for his life to be spared, Jonah was pleading for his life to be ended here. And this is of course after the Ninevites had turned back to God, and we have this whole whole time where Jonah is just really bitter with God because of the because the Ninevites had turned back to, had turned to God. In Jonah four three it says, Therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah here is begging God to take his life in this bitter rant towards God after God had pulled off this uh, amazing miracle in front of his eyes of watching this whole wicked city turn to God. Um, we see this, this begging. And then we see also Paul's use of this word. Um, when Paul uses this word, he's typically pleading with the church to be more Christ-like. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Paul is, is begging these churches to, <clears throat> to walk worthy of the vocation they're called, to serve God. And now, that should be the goal of every believer in Christ, but when Paul was defending himself in Jerusalem before a multitude of angry Jews, he said, I am a man which am a Jew of, of Tarsus, of a city of Caesarea, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And so Paul here is pleading with both the church at Ephesus in defending himself in Jerusalem. He's um, say, begging the audience to listen to him because he has something important to say. And so Beseech is used in both, in both urgency of prayer and in pleading with other believers to do something and even petitioning those who are hostile to do something. Now, it's also the same idea as, as in church. When, we're, um, when the pastor is up here preaching or somebody's up here preaching, each and every service, we uh, beseech people to come and to, and to be saved. And especially on a, a Sunday morning service, when most like when there's somebody here that's uh, that's there's most likely somebody here that's lost on a Sunday morning service, beseeching those to come that are saved, or um, those that are believers, beseeching those that are believers to to live godly, as Paul had mentioned. Now, we also ought to be beseeching God in our prayers, asking for things, and asking in faith, um, in that sense. Now. When we use this word beseeching, it's a it's really a setting aside of pride here, which is with this with this centurion something I want to highlight because the centurion had a high had a high position in society and he had set aside his pride in order to in order to come to Jesus and and beseech him to beg him to come and heal his servant because he recognized Jesus' power and Jesus recognizes also his faith in in coming to beseech him. Because the centurion knew that there was, there was something about Jesus. He knew that Jesus was was um, was um, was somebody important, and that he was unworthy uh, to <coughs> to have him in his home. Now, when when we're uh, when we're beseeching something for somebody for something, when we're beseeching God in prayer, it's a it's a setting down of. Uh, of pride, we're willing to be made fun of, or scorned, or ridiculed, or um, because we're purely motivated by the thing that we're um, beseeching, for, we're beseeching for, that we're begging for. Now, 
this characteristic is, is what impressed Jesus with this man's faith. If you'll turn with me to Mark 6, 6, or Mark 6, 1, actually. Let's start at the beginning of the chapter. We see um, that what was interesting is that Jesus marveled at this man's faith, and it's not something Jesus did very often. Twice in the gospel, in this gospel, it's recorded that Jesus marveled. Now, in Mark 6, and um, there's only one other instance where he marvels at somebody's faith. But in Mark chapter 6, he marvels at the unbelief of those in, in Nazareth. And so in Mark chapter 6, verse number 1, here in, Caper in Capernaum, he marveled at the faith of this Gentile, of the, the centurion. But in Mark chapter 6, he marveled at the lack of faith of the Jews in Nazareth. And so in Mark 6, 1, it says, and he went out from thence and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such mighty words were wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, and brother of James, <coughs> and of Jonas, and of Judah, and of si Simon? And, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offered at him. But Jesus said unto them, I am a prophet, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could, he could, and he could, there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. In verse 6 it says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So here, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Now, this is completely different. And this is, these were supposed to be the people that were waiting for their Messiah. These were supposed to be the people that would accept him right away. But of course, we know they didn't. And so it's amazing here that this, this centurion, this Gentile, has accepted, uh, has recognized Jesus Christ for, for who he is and have recognized his power. Now, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 15, uh, 21, in Matthew 15, 21, this is the other person that Jesus commended for having great faith. And it was a Gentile woman whose daughter was delivered from a demon. In Genesis, I mean, Matthew 15, 28, uh, 21, Matthew 15, 21. Um, the Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of, of Canaan came out from the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. 
and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. What's very interesting about these two instances with this, this miracle with the centurion and this woman here, and this, this passage in um, Matthew 15 has a, a lot to unpack that we don't really have time for tonight, but um, in both of these instances, we see a Gentile coming to Jesus asking for healing for somebody, and then Jesus heals, heals this person at a distance. It's worthy, of, it's worthy of noting in both these instances, Jesus wasn't with the person that was healed when they were healed. And <clears throat> I find it interesting, the parallels between these two, these two healings that Jesus did. Now, as we, as we look at this, today, when we, we come to Jesus, we don't come, come up to Jesus, walk up to Jesus literally as they did in that day, but we come to, come to God in prayer. And when we pray, we ought not to be just going through the motions. We ought to be beseeching God in our prayer. We ought to be earnestly asking God, trusting that he can answer our prayers. And there's, there's nothing wrong with pleading for God in our prayers because it shows our urgency and the importance of our requests, and it shows our faith in God that he'll answer our prayers. Now, the centurion's faith was cer certainly remarkable here in, in Luke 7. He was a Gentile whose background was pagan. He was a Roman soldier. He was trained to be self-sufficient. And we have no evidence that he'd ever heard Jesus preach. But he had heard, he had no doubt at this point heard of the miracles of Jesus. Perhaps he heard about Jesus, about Jesus' healing power from the nobleman's son who Jesus healed at a distance in John 4, um, 46. His soldiers may also have brought him reports that the miracle of Jesus had performed. And had told him of all the great things that Jesus had done, and that maybe that was what, um, well, how he had heard of Jesus. But as we look at this, we see um, the next the next part after we see the faith of the centurion and his friends, we see this forethought connection that the centurion made. This forethought connection. Now the reason what he says here when he meets Jesus as forethought, because I, the the way that he says it it kind of reveals that he was thinking about it before he had, he had uh, talked to Jesus about this. In Luke 7, verse 8, if you'll uh, turn back over there, in Luke 7, verse 8, we see that the officer saw a parallel between the way that he commanded his soldiers and the way that Jesus commanded diseases. In verse 8, it says, For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant do, and he doeth it. Both the centurion and Jesus were under authority. Jesus was, um, um, was doing the will of his father, and uh, the centurion was doing the will of the Roman government, but they both had the ability to command. Now, this, the centurion had the ability to command, to command men, which, relative to the ability of Jesus to command disease, was relatively unremarkable compared to Jesus' ability to command disease. For all, um, it's <clears throat> amazing to think that as we kind of, as we think of uh, a modern hospital, the, the, some, uh, a modern hospital today is something that in Jesus' day, when Jesus was healing people, was something that they could not even think of. And the procedures that they can do today in that day would have been complete miracles. Some of these procedures are miracles, are miracles today. This, the procedures they can do in, on heart surgeries and 
all kinds of these other things where they can do a whole surgery just through a little a little um, little tiny incision and all of these amazing things doctors can do but all of it pales in comparison to Jesus being able to command diseases like the centurion commands men and the the I, the reason I call this the forethought connection is because this centurion had thought about it he had thought and made this connection before even meeting Jesus that and realized it and had the faith that Jesus was able to do was able to do what he was asking him to do that he was able to heal um, heal this servant and this is tremendous faith for a Gentile and no wonder that Jesus marveled at it and so he was also the centurion was also in a position where he recognized authority he wore a Roman uniform and had soldiers under him now if a Roman with very little spiritual instruction of any kind of faith in God's word um, with he if he has very little instruction and has this much faith in God believing that God can heal his servant even at a distance then how much more faith should we have we have the entire Bible to read and study as well as nearly 2,000 years of church history after the completion of the Bible and we can look back at how faithful God has been and we should not be caught guilty of no faith like like the Jews were in Nazareth we should be as this um, this centurion having faith in God that he's able to do what he says he's going to do and as we look through scripture we see examples of those who should have had faith in God but were caught off guard and didn't have faith in God we see that example with uh, in Genesis with with Sarah who devised her own plan because she should have been trusting in God but instead they chose to have a have a son um, with involving Hagar and Ishmael and this whole mess that was that was made because they didn't they didn't trust in God and we also see the Israelites who many many times in the wilderness doubted God even though they should have trusted God and so that's why uh, Jesus would marvel here at this at this centurion who trusted him having having no no background to trust him now of course um, in the book of in the, in the Matthew's account he mentions Jesus starts to <clears throat> mention how uh, soon Gentiles are going to be able are able to trust in Christ and how this kind of transition in his in, in the Christian ministry from the Jews to to the Gentiles but um, we'll get there in just a second as but um, as we look at the three parts of this story again we see the faith of the centurion and his friends this forethought connection made by the centurion and then lastly we see the fastness of Christ and so um, we see that Jesus deliverance was instant and so in verse number 10 of Luke chapter 7 it says and they were sent returning to the house and found the servant whole that had been sick and so they had all gone to get Jesus to bring him back to the house and they all came back and the servant was already healed it was already taken care of and that that was amazing in in um, going back to the oh the other area um, in Matthew 8 if you'll uh, if you want to turn over there in Matthew 8 10 uh, this section I just mentioned in Matthew 8 10 it says when Jesus heard it he marveled and said to them that followed verily I say unto you I've not found so great faith no not in Israel well verses 11 and 12 are kind of a section of this that 
um, Luke leaves out in chapter 7, but Matthew includes in, in Matthew chapter 8. It says, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into utter darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's referring to here that the, <clears throat> the Jewish people had largely rejected him up to this point. They had, um, been, Jesus had been rejected for the people that he came, he came for. And then the Gentiles were going to be offered salvation. Those from the east and from the west were going were to come. He mentions it here because this centurion, of course, was a Gentile and that he had trust in Christ. And so we see that um, Jesus' deliverance was instant. And this miracle, and of course these miracles and Jesus healing those that were physically sick point to salvation and healing those that are spiritually sick. And that was more important than healing things that are, that are healing uh, physical illness is the spiritual illness of sin. And so we see this connection to this and also to that uh, Gentiles are, are welcome to come to Christ as well. Now, we also see here this, um, the, we read the story of the Canaanite woman that came and we see that um, very similarly. She came as a Gentile to Jesus, trusting that and knowing that Jesus was able to help her and was able to heal her daughter. Now, we I mentioned earlier the healing of the official son in, um, in John 4. And we see that um, as well. And I wanted to read that account as well in John 4, 46. If you, if you want to turn over there, if not, I'll just go ahead and read it. In John 4, 46, the Bible says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And, he, and when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And he went now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them that hour when he began to, to amend, and they saith unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in that which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he came, when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So as we look at these miracles tonight, and as we highlight this miracle of the centurion's, uh, of this centurion's servant being healed, we ought to, we ought to have faith in, <clears throat> have faith in God and in the power of God. And remember that God is in control. In a, in a world that is completely out of control and uh, seems to just getting, be getting worse and worse every day, we can trust that God is in control and that 
God has not changed, even though everything else seems to be changing. We can realize who Jesus Christ is, and as we look at that word um, beseech, as he besought, uh, besought Christ to come and to heal him, we ought to be praying and praying earnestly for, as the centurion did, he prayed for Jesus to heal his servant. We ought to be praying for Jesus to, um, to spiritually heal those around us that are not saved. We ought to be praying for, the, for those, our friends and neighbors and family that are unsafe to be saved. And we ought to be praying earnestly for it, as the centurion did. The centurion was praying <clears throat> as not, not a Jew himself and um, was praying that Jesus would heal, would heal his servant and really had no, not really much instruction in who Jesus Christ was and who the God of Israel was but he still trusted in him. And how much more are we able to, should we be able to trust if we have um, the Bible and thousands of years of church history? Now, <clears throat> we are also reminded that <clears throat> from this very simple story of faith that um, following Christ is relatively simple having faith in christ is the core is the core of christianity and we we often can get really caught up in a bunch of other little things that that, <clears throat> that don't that, that don't matter as much and we lose sight of focusing on our faith in jesus christ and that he's able to to perform miracles and we can often get caught up on so many things that we begin to doubt Jesus Christ, and we begin to doubt his power to really do these things. Um, many, uh, many churches will even have changed their doctrine and have decided that these miracles are not necessarily literal, which displays a, a huge lack of faith in what, God is, in what God has written for us, in, what, in the Bible that was written for the purpose for us to have faith. Now, we also <coughs> can learn from this passage that we ought to bring Jesus into trying situations. That um, our first, uh, whenever we are in trouble, we always, are, we always call 911 to get help. Well, our first call ought to, really be, ought to really be to Jesus. Our first call ought to be in prayer to Jesus. Now, that's not a literal phone call, of course, but we all ought to call out to God in prayer first in times of crisis. Now, a lot of the times of crisis lately have not been so much like um, like medical emergencies personally. I mean, there have, there have been people with medical emergencies, but all of the anxiety and uneasiness of the current events that just seem to just be this huge burden that just weigh us down, we ought to call out to God and beseech him for encouragement in this time because he can offer it and he could offer us joy and amazing things even while even when the world does not now we also learn that jesus does not regard status but he recognizes those who place their faith in him we see that um that many many people were able to come to jesus christ and jesus christ performed miracles for people that were of status, like the centurion, but there were, he also performed miracles for people 
<clears throat> like this woman in Tyre and Sidon that was of no status. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't recognize their status, but he recognized their faith in him. And the centurion, we also see, recognized Jesus' power. He recognized Jesus' power to save his to save his servant. Now, um, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but as Christians, we often, we, we're saved and we have this amazing experience of being saved and trusting in Jesus Christ. But as the years go on, we kind of let that, <clears throat> let the memory of that, of that fade. And we kind of lose that fervor of Jesus Christ and that life-changing power that he has in salvation. And losing that losing that fervor will keep us from spreading the gospel and allowing others to be saved and um <clears throat> we ought to be uh be on fire for the lord and be beseeching others to come to christ and be recognizing god's power to save because if we truly have a right view of god's power and his ability to save and his ability to command diseases and um and with the with the cross to command sin where he can where God can just, uh, where Jesus could just declare a person to be free of disease, and it would be so. Jesus can declare us righteous, and it's so because of his work on the cross. Now, the centurion received an answered prayer <clears throat> because of his faith in God. Because he asked in faith, he received an answered prayer. Now, we can ask God think, um, for, for healing in faith. And he, um, he can do it sometimes. <clears throat> I mean, God doesn't always say yes. And of course, we ap appeal to his sovereign will. But um, the centurion received an answered prayer here because of his great faith. And we can look to his example of his, of his faith. And we can also look at how it highlights Jesus Christ and his person of who he is. And so um, in conclusion tonight, we want to have faith in Jesus Christ and who he is, and what he, what he um, has done on the cross, and his power to save. But we also don't want to neglect <clears throat> to pray, and and to be leading others to Christ, and to be beseeching others to come to Christ, and to be um, bringing Christ to other people by sharing the gospel with them. And so let's go ahead, and um, we'll go ahead and stand, and we'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I pray that this message went out, went out clearly. And Lord, I pray that you'll just have your hand on it. And I pray that you'll have your hand on the rest of the service, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here that isn't saved, that they'll come and get that and talk to me or uh, one of the deacons in the church. And we'll get that taken care of tonight. So won't leave here tonight not knowing for sure if they're going to heaven, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we'll um, have the faith of this, uh, like this centurion here in scripture, um, to come to you for solutions to our problems. And, and uh, we thank you so much, Lord, in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll go ahead and